0: What's up guys. Man, so good, so, so good to be back with all of you. I want to welcome everybody joining us across all of our other locations online. Maybe you're joining us from another state and really, really good to be back with you. Uh, man, uh, we just had a great summer. Uh, we had some good time away with family. I had some time uh, where I, I've shared this with you all in the past that uh, I never, ever want to serve this church or to preach and teach uh, from an empty tank but always out of the overflow of my heart and you know when you're running on fumes that's just when you make really really unwise uh, decisions and so I just want to thank you guys for being the most encouraging church on the planet I got so many text messages DMs emails from you while I was away just encouraging me with that time with family and then I was able to just get away uh, out, outside the pressure of like weekly teaching and just do some prayer and some planning and just seeking after God. Like, God, where where do you want us to go over the course of the next year? And, uh, man, I've never been more excited about the future and the direction of our church than I am right now. And I'm so glad that you are here to be a part of it. And um, before we get going, can, I, can we just express our appreciation to everybody that taught this summer? Man, they did such a great job. This... Uh, It's not necessarily an easy platform to teach from. In fact, one of them came to me and said, man, I don't know how you do that every week. It's like preaching on a roller coaster, right? Like up on this big stage. And so they did an amazing job. And I mean, we just have one of the best uh, teams on the planet. I'm so, so grateful uh, for them. And uh, if you are here for the very first time or you're back to church in a long time, uh, you came on on a good day because today we're kicking off a brand new teaching series Called among lions and we're going to be walking our way through the story of the life of this guy by the name of Daniel and his story is found in the old testament and so if you have a bible go ahead and find chapter one and I just want to encourage you every week just to bring a bible with you and maybe something just to jot a few notes down like obviously that you know you're not going to be tested on this at the end of it but I just want you to jot down a few things that maybe you can go back through and review I'm under no illusion that the entire message will be uh, for you but there might be one thing That God is trying to say, I don't want you to miss it. So bring something to to write with every week. And as you're finding Daniel chapter 1, I just got a question that I just kind of want to present to you today. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt like you were in a situation or environment where you were out of place? Maybe it was a new job, a new school, a new gym, a new community, a new environment. Maybe somebody gave you tickets to a Colts game and you found yourself in the section surrounded by drunk Bears fans because you'd have to be drunk to be a Bears fan. And you just kind of felt like out of place and just kind of awkward, a little bit on edge. And I think that all of us have been there at some point in our lives. I know I have in a lot of different scenarios, but maybe the most recent was this last spring. I took my 15-year-old daughter to a concert in Chicago. And I'm not gonna tell you the artists that we saw because I don't want you to think I'm recommending or endorsing. But uh, it, this was an uh, artist that a lot of teenage girls really, really like. And, and now, one 46 year old man, right? It's like, so, uh, so I took my daughter to this uh, concert, and then I gotta tell you, like, we showed up, it was like standing room only. And as soon as I got there, I, it was like me and four or 5,000 teenage girls. And I just felt like so out of place. You know, they knew every single lyric to all the songs. And I have no idea. You know, I'm just sitting there kind of bebopping around, you know. And I felt so old and uncool. I just felt out of place. And because of that, like I felt a little bit defensive. You know, a little bit kind of like kind of keeping people at, at arm's length. And that's usually what happens. When you find yourself in an environment where you feel a little bit like an outsider or out of place, like you don't know that you have anything in common with the people around you, it can bring about all sorts of emotions that are very understandable. You know, you can feel a little bit um, nervous or fearful, maybe a little bit anxious or angry, maybe defensive or divisive. Like, like all of those things are perfectly normal when you are in that type of environment. Now, I say all that to simply say this, all right? Now, this series is going to be primarily for two groups of people, to invite those of you that are not following after God to surrender your life to Him, and for those of us that are following after God to have the courage to live for Him. Now, here's what I want you to understand, is over the last couple of years, all of us have found ourselves in a situation within culture in which, in some scenario, we felt out of place like culture is has always and is always shifting under our feet like the tectonic plates underneath the surface of the earth and when they shift abruptly that's when you get an earthquake and over the last couple of years that's what we've seen happen in society and in culture on all the fun issues, you know, all the really tense issues like politics, sexuality, gender identity, abortion, climate change, issues of justice, and gun control. You know, all the ones we see eye to eye on. And we have all these like issues that are kind of shifting under our feet. Now here's the question for every Christ follower is how can I be formed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus within a culture that wants to shape me into its image? Or maybe here's a little bit cleaner and simpler way of putting it. How do I follow God in a godless culture? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says it so well. It says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Uh, one translation says, Don't be conformed, but be Transformed into a new person by changing the way you what you think. So, so what that shows us is that it all begins up here. Like if you want to uh, affect the direction of your heart, then you've got to pay attention to what you're thinking, and what you're thinking is usually what you're exposed to. So, this is the perspective by which we see things. These are the thoughts that we have. This is the worldview that that we end up developing. Now, when culture shifts, and it always has, and it always will, there are three common responses that a lot of Christ followers can, can have. And, and the first is that we just like freak out. We just freak out. It's like we, we say things like, things can't get much worse. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't have much hope for the future. I, I don't know what kind of world my kids and grandkids are going to grow up in. Now, please understand that I want to say this very gently, but very directly, is that Jesus promised us that would happen. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then what does he say right after that? He goes, hey, but I want you to take heart, or that's another way of saying, have some courage because I have gone before you and I've overcome the world. Jesus went to a cross to achieve victory for us on our behalf. So what that means is that we can feel all kinds of things, but we don't necessarily stay camped out there. There should be no such thing as a pessimistic Christian. Thoughtful? You bet. Concerned about the world? Absolutely. Heavy hearted? Yes. But hopeless, defeated, and cynical? Man, no way. Because Jesus is, there should be a joy that is within us regardless of our circumstances. So, one was we can like freak out. The second is that we can just blend in. And this is happening more and more as we face pressure from society around us, and oftentimes what happens is professing Christians, we just don't know how to respond to the questions or the statements that culture is shouting at us, and we don't want to appear like, you know, we've kind of got it all figured out, and so we end up conforming, and we end up just blending in, and there's really nothing distinct about the way that we live our lives, but there is a third way. Like, well, we don't have to freak out and we don't have to blend in. The third way is that we can actually hold on to a faith that is anchored to the truth of God, characterized by the grace of God. And what that means is I'm going to live my life in a way that is different and distinct from the culture in which I live. Now, I said different and distinct, not weird and obnoxious. Like we don't need any more weird and obnoxious Christians. We don't need other people kind of looking their noses down on others. We need Christians who would say, you know what, man, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I I don't need to water anything down. I don't need to lower the bar, but I'm going to live my life in a real, vulnerable, humble, authentic way, knowing that that is the only way to earn a hearing in the lives of others. This is exactly the way Jesus lived his life. Jesus lived his life in such a way that people that were nothing like him at all really liked being around him. And Jesus didn't just blend in. Jesus called them to a different kind of life, and they were compelled to do it because they could tell there was something dramatically different about the way that he lived. So how do we do this? How do we keep from freaking out, blending in? How do we live our lives in distinct ways? Well, nobody models this better than Daniel. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks together looking at his story. Uh, When I was in uh, college, I uh, did an internship out on the West Coast, and uh, this was in the summer of 1997. And so I got into my uh, 1991 Pontiac Grand Am, may that car rest in peace, and I drove uh, cross-country by myself as a 21-year-old to California. And uh, this was the time, like, uh, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have internet access. I didn't have a credit card. I didn't have a GPS you know, device in my car. There was no way for anybody to check in with me or to see how I was doing. It was just, you know, once I got there, I'd find a payphone somewhere and you know, tell mom and dad that I got there safely. I can't even imagine putting my 20 year old son in a car without any way to uh, connect with him driving cross country. But that's just the kind of world we lived, up, uh, lived in. You know? And here's the thing is that um, uh, I didn't have a GPS device. The way that I navigated out to the West Coast was through one of those big giant road atlases the size of Texas. You remember those? And you thought texting and driving was dangerous. (laughs) Try pulling out one of those big old road atlases that actually could double as one of those things that you'd stick in your windshield to protect your car from sun. And you're trying to navigate your way out uh, across country. Now here's why I say that, is if you're taking notes, understand the book of Daniel is a roadmap. It is a roadmap for how godly people can not just survive, but actually thrive within a godless culture. Now, let me just kind of set the table before we jump into the text. A couple of things that I want you to know about the context of this book. This book covers 70 years of Daniel's life. And unfortunately, we have lots and lots of examples of people both in the Bible and in the world today who uh, didn't finish well. In fact, only 20% of people in the Bible would be what we would call finished well, meaning they didn't have some big scandal, you know, they didn't blow up their lives, kind of end up in the in a ditch somewhere at some point. You know, we read through the Bible and we see individuals like Moses and David and Peter and Paul, like they all made these really big mistakes like many of us. Now, I say that to say that God is in the redemption business and there isn't anybody that his grace can't reach. And so, man, if you're here today, you've messed up your life, man, you're in good company with the rest of us because God's grace can reach you. But understand that Daniel, he stays faithful his entire life. And that's pretty rare. Like the guy never had a scandal. He never had an accusation made against him. He he never had an ethical or moral failure in the midst of a culture that was doing everything that it could to cut his faith out at his knees. He lived for God in a way that was different and distinct, but it was winsome and influential within a very godless and hostile culture. And one of the things that I really love about Daniel, and I think you're gonna identify with, is that Daniel was not a pastor, a prophet, or a priest. He was not in full-time vocational ministry. And understand that if you are called to Christ, you are called to ministry, even though you may have a different occupation. But very, very few of you listening to this will ever be in full-time vocational ministry and Daniel is your model because Daniel shows us how to be faithful to God within the marketplace. In fact, Daniel wasn't even just in the marketplace. Daniel was in a very, very corrupt political world and his boss was a very corrupt politician by the, guy, by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel knew that the goal wasn't to be right. Daniel knew that uh, he wasn't trying to argue people into faith. Man, if you can argue somebody into faith, then they can be argued right back out of it. Daniel knew that the goal for him was to have the spirit of God alive and well within him, within him and to unapologetically live for God in a way that people would be curious about the gospel of grace. It says it so well in Daniel chapter 12, verse three. It says, those who are wise will shine. Man, if you're wise, you will stand out. That is countercultural today to just grow in wisdom and you will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. I love how Pastor Chris Hodges kind of summarizes uh, the story of Daniel. He says, Daniel was an ordinary dude thrown into extraordinary circumstances and events that forced him to maintain his faith in God's truth characterized by God's grace. All right, so with that setup, let's dive into the text. All right, we're gonna uh, look uh, at uh, verses one through 21. All right, you guys ready? Sweet, four of you are ready. All right, here we go. <laughs> Verse one, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign. Now, this is just a little tidbit for you when you're reading difficult Old Testament names. Some of you are like, man, how in the world do you know how to pronounce that Old Testament name? Here's how you do it. You just say it real fast and confident, right? Just, just real fast and confident, just Jehoiakim. And you'll be like, oh, you're so smart, All right? So, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. All right, so what I want you to know is that Jehoiakim was Judah's 19th king after King David in the land of Israel, and he was a terrible king. Like he just continued to lead the people of God further and further away from God. It's a lesson for us that throughout history, one of the things that we see is that disobedient people will often vote false prophets into power who will tell them what they want to hear. And we see that Jehoiakim was a really, really bad king in Israel. But then there was this other guy named King Nebuchadnezzar who is a really, really bad king in Babylon. And Babylon is a key place in this narrative. It was the most dominant superpower in the ancient Near East at the time. And what would happen is that Babylon would go into these surrounding nations and it would besiege them, which is different from obliterate. All right, so what besiege means is they would go in and they would basically, wanting to declare, hey, our gods are more superior than your gods. And so we are going to uh, take the best of your resources The best of your economy, the best of the arts, the best of your ideas, the best of your people. And we are going to absorb it into our culture so that way we can be even more dominant, right? So essentially they were Thanos before Thanos was a thing, right? Not very many Marvel fans. All right, so got it. So verse 2, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. So key words here, if you're taking notes, gave and permitted. It's so important for us to understand that Nebuchadnezzar did not take anything from God. God was not some helpless bystander here. God allowed him to take it. And there is a difference. God was still in control. It's kind of like whenever my kids, you know, have the remote control in my house, they didn't take it from me. I permitted them to have it. At least I'd like to think so in my mind, all right? So, so God gave, gave Nebuchadnezzar uh, permission to, to do this. Now, now, here's the question. Why? Why would God allow Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to overtake his people in Israel. What's going on? Well, understand that the Israelites were a lot like you and me today. They they meant well, they keep making these commitments to God and then they keep breaking them due to their own pride, sin, and rebellion. And God kept warning them over and over and over again that if you continue to walk this path, then he would send them into exile. And so in 605 B.C., He kept his promise. And because of the disobedience of Israel, which by the way, that's where Daniel grew up, God allowed them to be defeated by a godless pagan empire called Babylon. Look at verse 3. Then the king ordered Aspenahaz, fast and confident, his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. So doesn't it do you good to know that your pastor would have been included in this group, right? <laughs> I'm really glad you guys laughed at that, all right? So <laughs> make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of, of what? Of Babylon. Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. So I want you to understand here, they have been kidnapped. And the idea was to take the best of the best in Jerusalem, in Israel, and then indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. Now, most Bible scholars believe that Daniel was around 13 to 15 years old at the time. What were you doing as a 13 to 15 year old? And Daniel's in this really impressionable time in his life, the time when he needs a family unit, the time when he needs godly influence in his life. And just overnight, his nation, his home is attacked and ransacked by an enemy Uh, sort of like Red Dawn style, and they're like pulled out of their uh, families, and they're forced to walk 700 miles to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And so they go from this godly upbringing to a godless culture, and his world is turned upside down overnight. Now, one of the things that we need to understand about Babylon is that Babylon Was a literal city. It was the largest city in the known world at the time. About 150,000 to 200,000 people lived in Babylon, but it was also a metaphor. So throughout our study, and I'll keep referencing this, is Babylon, yes, it was a city, but it's also a metaphor. And we first hear about Babylon for the very first time in Genesis um, chapter 11, whenever the people of God, they get together and they're very, very rebellious. And they think, you know what? I think we can be like God, which is really at the root of all of our issues, is I want to be my own God. And so they get together and they build this tower up to the heavens, thinking we'll build our way up to God and sort of overtake him. And God scatters the people, confuses the languages and the cultures, and that tower was called Babel. That's the first time we hear of this concept. Then we hear it again in the book of Revelation. So it bookends the Bible, and there are three chapters in Revelation that talk about Jesus returning and conquering some entity called Babylon. Now, there's some really, really crazy stuff that happen in the book of Revelation. You got like seven-headed dragons, you know, eating babies and stuff. And it's just like, you read it and you're just like, man, this is so weird. Like, well, what what are we reading here? Well, understand that Revelation is not all about a revelation about the future, but it's primarily a revealing, a pulling back of the curtain and revealing what has been going on behind the scenes throughout human history, even till today. And in chapter 14, verse 8, it says this. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. So understand the literal city of Babylon was conquered somewhere around five to 600 BC, roughly 3,000 years ago. But it is repeatedly mentioned throughout the New Testament. They keep talking about it, even though the empire was gone. Why? Well, because the spirit of Babylon lives on. It is a metaphor for a rebellious, pluralistic, antagonistic culture. Anything that is anti-God. It is the kingdom that is built in opposition to God, independent of God where the kingdom of men are in charge and at the center. And Satan always uses secular governments, media, business, and and economics to wage war against the kingdom of God. See, the Bible is not an old book that tells us what happened. The Bible is a timeless book that tells us what always happens. And the reason why it's so important that I share that with you is that in order for us to know how to live for God in the times in which we live, we got to understand our environment. You and I are exiles. We are just like Daniel. We are exiles in this, in this place where the spirit of Babylon is at work. Now, please understand that I absolutely love our country, right? Like hashtag America, right? I, I I love our country. But understand this is not home. Right? We're not trying to take back our nation for God. We're trying to live for God within a very godless place and time. We are exiles and we are waiting for Jesus to return one day to restore the new heaven and the new earth. We are ambassadors. <laughs> So we've got to understand our identity in place and time to know how to live. So what happens is that Babylon takes these four guys and they put them into this Babylonian school. And the purpose of the school was not to educate Daniel and his friends about Babylon. It was to make them Babylonians. It was a social engineering project. It was reverse evangelism. They were trying to remove and erase anything about them that was distinct as young men of God, and instill and download their values, perspectives, beliefs, and systems into their life. It was a three-year school. And there were four strategies the spirit of Babylon used then and continues to use today to dilute and neutralize the image of Christ within us. And so as I briefly walk through these, I just simply want to ask you to do a little bit of self-reflection which one of these is at work in my life right now? Like, which one of these am I the most susceptible to? right, the the first one, Babylonian strategy number one, is separation, right, separation. They get Daniel and his friends 700 miles away from the godly culture that they grew up in, and the reason why is that you walk like who you walk with. So this is why it's so important that you choose your friends wisely, This is so important that you find yourself in the right kind of community with other godly men and women who will provide wisdom and insight and accountability into your life. Because if I want to program you to live a new way, then all I got to do is get you away from the environments and relationships that brought you to God in the first place. You walk like who you walk with. This is why we do very dumb things when we are with other dumb people. Right? I speak from experience. When I was in college, there was this like creek that ran outside of campus, and we were kind of hiking one day. There was this train trestle about 20, 30 feet above the creek, and we were all standing up on top, me and my dumb friends. And one of them challenged me to jump without checking the depth of the water. And I did, right? And luckily, it was deep enough that I did hit the bottom, but it was deep enough that I'm okay, right? It didn't cause any permanent damage. But I look back on that, and I'm like, that was so stupid. And it was because I was with other stupid people and I was stupid and we just did stupid things. This is why we say things like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. News flash, venereal disease always follows you home. All right? So understand. <laughs> I'm back. All right, so, so, so this, this, some of you are like, you're here for the first time. You're like, what kind of church is, it?" okay. so. This, the Spirit of God is always working for the unification of God's people. That's so, now, I didn't say uh, uniformity. I said unification. There's unity in diversity. The Spirit of God works towards that. Spirit of Babylon is always looking for ways to separate and isolate God's people. Can you say the last two years? This is this whole idea of just getting, he knows like, man, in in order to pick you and me off, just get you alone or get you with the wrong group of people. So maybe some of you, like maybe you grew up in a really, really good church, went off to college and you drifted away from the family of God. You got isolated from that environment. Maybe some of you, there's still, I, I run into people every week. They're like, oh man, you know, I haven't been back yet to church since... Uh, COVID, but you know, I'm planning to one day, and, and I understand there was lots of good reasons to maybe stay away from crowds because of all kinds of personal reasons, but, may, but the, it's a totally different thing if you're just like, oh, we just kind of got out of the rhythm. We just kind of enjoyed watching it at home, and there's nothing wrong with watching it at home, but just don't stay there. It's this idea that if Satan wants to pick you off, he's just going to isolate you from community, and I do want to encourage you to sign up for Rooted. I do want to encourage you to get involved in community, And by the way, this is not a plug for our church because it doesn't have to be this one. Like, If this isn't your jam, find another church where the Bible is preached and Jesus is the hero and go there, all right? Get around other people that will help shape your faith, all right? People always drift from people of faith before you drift from your faith. That always happens. Here's a Babylonian strategy number two, the destruction of the family they took Daniel and his friends away from their families. And if I wanna deconstruct your faith, then I need to dismantle the family who fostered that faith in you. So the spirit of Babylon is always attacking two things throughout history, healthy human sexuality, and the idea that God made them male and female. Understand that Daniel was put under the chief eunuch. The eunuch, what do eunuchs do? Daniel was likely pressured to have a surgery he didn't want to have to remove the distinctiveness of his gender. The spirit of Babylon says gender isn't binary. It's not X and Y chromosomes. It's more like a spectrum. But understand behind the spectrum is a spirit, the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon always seeks to kill children. In the Old Testament, there was this God named Molech, and whenever you had a baby, you sacrificed him to Molech. Fast forward to The Egyptian empire, when Moses is born, the unholy spirits move Pharaoh to send out an edict to slaughter all the male children of God. You fast forward to the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is born. The same spirit worked through this guy named Herod to send out an edict to slaughter all male children under a certain age in a particular region. You fast forward to Revelation and the spirit of Babylon makes war against the offspring of the people of God. It is no coincidence. It is the same spirit. And right now, we live in a very broken, divided, hurting society in which we have a lot of absent dads and a lot of overwhelmed moms. And we look to government to do for us what healthy moms and dads should be doing provide, care for, nurture, and protect. What kids need right now is less government and more dads. More dads. And and guys, I just want to challenge you to put this on your calendar right now. October the 28th, it's a Friday night. We're going to have our men's event night. We're bringing that back. You're not going to want to miss it. We've got some amazing things planned for that. And so sign up the men in your life. Tell them that they're coming to this. You're not going to regret it. And then ladies, uh, we're not leaving you out in the spring. We're doing a ladies event night for you as well. All right. So Babylonian strategy number three, indoctrination, indoctrination. This was a three-year Babylonian school. The Spirit of God teaches doctrine from the Word. That's why we go line by line every week from God's Word. The Spirit of Babylon indoctrinates with the world. What's that? Social media, media, all of our entertainment choices, and books and magazines. Romans 12.2 says that don't be conformed into the pattern. That Greek word pattern is a mold. It's the image of a mold in which everything is trying to press you into it. So here's what this practically looks like. Here's a tool that is often used in the world. It's called choice architecture. And choice architecture, what it does is it manipulates the way options are presented to force a desired outcome. So what that practically looks like is simply this. Are you pro-choice or do you oppose women's rights? Which one? Are you affirming of alternative lifestyles or are you intolerant and hateful? Because you can't be both. Are you a socialist or a racist? Check a box. Are you empowering of women or do you uphold toxic masculinity and patriarchy? And the spirit of Babylon is shaping the narrative. And these are false categories designed to manipulate you to a desired choice. Listen, man, you can be for women's rights and against abortion. You can oppose socialism and racism. You can be for women and uphold godly masculinity. We have to. See, if you accept the world's categories, you will always come to the world's conclusions. If you think that way, you'll live that way. Here's the last Babylonian strategy that I'll mention is repetition through reinforcement. Repetition through reinforcement. Joseph Goebbels, the chief minister of propaganda in the Nazi regime during World War II, he had this axiom and he said this, repeat a lie often enough and it will become the truth. And today culture doesn't drop propaganda in paper pamphlets from bombers on cities like they did in the 1940s. We just do it with hashtags and causes. Hashtag you do you, love is love, follow your heart, do what makes you happy, stand on the right side of history. And all of those phrases, when you listen to them, initially you're like, yeah, that sounds good. I think I, I, I want to do that. It sounds good initially, but each of those phrases comes hidden with a hidden worldview loaded into the hashtag. And eventually you start living by hashtags instead of Bible verses. Please understand that truth without grace is mean. It's just mean. We, none of us can possibly live up to the righteous requirements God requires. We need his grace. However, grace without truth is meaningless. The tension is in grace and truth, truth and grace. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to become paralyzed by extremes. We can be calm in the midst of the cultural storms. Daniel was. See, listen, they take Daniel and his friends and they say, listen, You're going to go to this three-year school, and we're going to indoctrinate you into this Babylonian lifestyle, and at the end of it, you're going to be assigned a new role and a new job within the empire. And as part of this program, you're going to get a new name. And we read about this in verse 7. It says, The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. Abednego. Now, what's going on here is they weren't just given like these like, you know, kind of cool, fancy new names. Their Hebrew names located their identity in relationship to the one true God. Their Babylonian names repositioned their identities in relation to Babylonian gods. Or at least that was the idea. So, for example, uh, Daniel's name in Hebrew meant God is my judge. Located his identity in his relationship to God. His name was changed to Belteshazzar, which meant treasure of Baal or Marduk. Hananiah, his name meant God shows grace. His name was changed to Shadrach, which meant under the command of Aku, a moon god of Babylon. Mishael, his name meant there is no one like God. Changed to Meshach, there is none like Aku. Azariah, his name meant God is my helper. His name was changed to Abednego, which meant servant of Nebo, the Babylonian god. Of wisdom. Now, here's what I want, I say all that to, to share this with you. I, I, I discovered this in my study, and I thought, man, this is so amazing. Throughout the entire book, Daniel never refers to himself by his Babylonian name, not one time. In fact, throughout the book, the writer of Daniel consistently spells the Hebrew names correctly and consistently misspells the Babylonian names. Just a little subtle misspelling all through the book now for years bible scholars thought there was probably some sort of scribal error and so somebody when they were copying the original manuscripts they maybe got it wrong and then it just got copied on down through the generations and then a few years ago we discovered the dead sea scrolls which were like the original uh copies and in the in the original copies all the babylonian names were misspelled which meant that it was done on purpose that is so punk rock man i love that so much but this is like this like very subtle way of Daniel just being like, man, just like forget-I'd say something stronger, but I'm preaching. Forget those Babylonian names, right? Forget those Babylonian names. See, here, understand this. This, this. this cultural engineering project failed miserably. It didn't take. Daniel and his friends, they held on to their distinctiveness and did not compromise their faith. And the reason why is because Daniel recognized what they were trying to do. He was aware of the strategy. The question is, are you and I? When among lions, how do we not just survive this, but how do we thrive in it and actually be a compelling influence to others for God? Well, look what it says in verses 8 and 9. It says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission so, so understand, yeah, he's being kind of subtly defiant with the name thing, but yet he's still being respectful. Like he, he goes and he he asks for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Verse 9, Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Oh, I love that. The way that Daniel had been living his life, the chief of staff respected him and he had affection for him. And God granted that as well. So, so God's highly, highly involved as Daniel lives his life. Now, Daniel asked if he and his friends could order from a different menu because they resolved not to defile themselves. He was the, you know, gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, joy-free kind of life, right? That That was him. And any of you that have ever had to prepare a meal for a group of people, like, it's always such a wonderful thing when they all ask to order off a different menu. But Daniel comes in and he says, hey, hey, listen, like, uh, I've got a request. And I love that about him. Like, he didn't, like, uh, resort to social media and blast his boss. You know, he didn't start gossiping about him. He didn't yell at him. He went to him directly and he went to him privately. And he said, hey, uh, could I have permission to order off a different menu? In in other words, for our context today, we could say, hey man, like I'll go to your school. I'll work your job. I'll take that salary, but I will not compromise my devotion to God. I will work unto the Lord, not unto men, because the Lord is maker of heaven and earth and his words will never pass away. So what about you? So the chief of staff, what he does is he expresses his concern back to to Daniel. And he says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the Lord, the king. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. And if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Now this says something about me. If I'm Daniel, I'm thinking, thanks for the idea. Right? I'm just going like, to starve myself. and look real, I'm going to punch myself in the face and not shower and look really, really awful. So that way you lose your head. But thankfully, your pastor is not in the Bible. And Daniel is. And here's how Daniel handles it. Verse 12, he says, well, you know, I understand that. Hey, please test us. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And at the end of the 10 days, just see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food, then make your decision in light of what you see. Just a couple of things I just want you to know. This is not some sort of Holy Spirit-filled keto diet. This was the idea that um, Daniel was like, hey, we can't eat anything defiled. The other thing I love about this is that Daniel was basically making this decision. It's really up to God to come through to actually uh you know, supernaturally, these guys are going to look healthier than the other guys in the Babylonian program. Look what it says in verse 14. The attendant agreed. He agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings and visions of dreams. And we'll actually see more about that in the weeks to come. Verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. I love this. No one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Here's what I want you to see. The minute that Daniel decided who he was going to be, the minute Daniel drew that line in the sand, is when God went to work. So here you've got this guy, a king named Nebuchadnezzar, who does not believe the same things that Daniel and his friends believe. He does not um, submit his life to the same God that they've submitted to. He does not share their same values or their political convictions. He does not see society through the same lens that they do. And yet he was so impressed with them. And he saw their wisdom and balanced judgment. And he invites them in to have a platform to influence not only the Babylonian culture, but even his own life. And so I just want to share with you two real quick things, and then I'm going to be done. Here's what we learned from Daniel and his friends. Number one, we need to remember that right now, no matter how crazy this world is, God is in control of who is in control. We just got to remember that. God is in control... Of who is in control. The Bible word for that is sovereign. And every time I see that word sovereign in the scriptures, that is just shorthand for this. God's got this. Like, God's got this. Like, I know, like, things seem crazy right now in the Ukraine and Russia. God's got this. Like, I know right now, like, our political world just seems to continue to get divided and divided, and there's all these issues, and there's the economy and gas prices, and I've got this issue in my marriage and this thing going on at work, and I've got this health thing I can't quite fully figure it out. And we just go, man, God has got this. Now, I want to say this with one caveat. I don't mean that as a cop-out. I don't mean that to say that as, well, you know, I don't really need to work hard on my marriage or I really don't need to go to counseling or I don't really need to, you know, really kind of show up fully because, you know, God's got this. You know, that's just lazy. No, we, we, we show up, we take full responsibility, we work hard for the things we have control of, the things we do not have control of, that's when the sovereignty of God kicks in we're like, man, I just don't have control over that. So I'm not going to let that erode my joy. I'm not going to make that, I'm not going to become cynical or bitter. I'm just going to recognize that God is ultimately in control. And when we gather weekly like this, it is just an exercise in resubmitting that control back to him. Here's the second thing, all right? God still loves Babylon, even though Babylon does not acknowledge God. We've got to remember who the real enemy is. The enemy is not culture. The enemy is not some talking head on TV. The enemy is not somebody who has a different system of belief than you do. The enemy is the principalities and powers behind this dark world, the spirit of Babylon. And so anytime I'm, you know, sort of tempted to be divisive or defensive or angry or hostile or mean-spirited, I just got to remember this. Jesus went to a cross for them too. And man, but by the grace of God, I don't stand a chance. Like I have no hope. And that ultimately my sin and my pride and my rebellion has offended God. And yet God didn't give up on me. And maybe, maybe right now, hey, if you're gonna clap, just commit. All right, just, all right, there we go. Maybe right now you, you find yourself in the midst of a very hostile work environment. Maybe, you're, maybe you feel like you're the only Christian on your dorm floor, in your school, Maybe you're um, in a marriage and maybe your spouse isn't a believer. Maybe you find yourself, you just got, you got friends and family pressuring you, shouting questions at you, you don't know how to answer. I just simply wanna ask you to take a deep breath and simply say, you know what? Uh, I just need to remind myself that I'm in exile in a foreign land and that's not a pity party. That's an opportunity to be a representative of God. And so I'm not gonna freak out and I'm not gonna blend in. I'm not gonna play by their rules. I'm not going to be defined by their categories. I'm gonna be defined by my identity as a child of the king. And I'm not going to allow that to erode my joy and my peace because God still has us here on this earth in this nation for a reason, not to hunker in a bunker, not to lob like holy grenades, you know, into the other camp, but to simply be salt and light to simply stand firm when we are among lions and recognize that it is his spirit at work within us. And so today, I just wanna simply invite two groups of people. Maybe maybe right now you're, you're here today and you're realizing, man, I've drifted from this. Like, I've, I've kind of bought into all four of those strategies of Babylon. Like, I've gotten separated from the kingdom of God, and I've kind of bought into some of the hashtags and the categories, and, and uh, I, I re- realize that I've drifted away, and I just need to come back to the foot of the cross once again. And listen, uh, God is ready and willing to receive you no matter how far you've drifted, man. Is one of the greatest things ever, just to recognize that His grace continues to reach you right where you're at. See, you've got three categories of people in the book of Daniel. You've got the people of God, you've got the people of Babylon, and then you've got the people of God who end up living Babylonian. And those are the confusing people. And maybe you're in that third category. And maybe you say, you know what? I've lost my distinctiveness. I've lost my saltiness, and I need to come back to the king. Here's the second invitation. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I had no idea this is what it was. I just thought this was some sort of a religion where I just had to clean up my act and do a whole bunch of good things and God would receive me and love me. It's the exact opposite. God receives you and loves you by his grace and the sacrifice Jesus made for you on a cross. And because he walked out of that grave, you can have hope beyond yours. And right now you can become a brand new person today. You just simply recognize your sinfulness. You give it to God and ask him to make you a new person by his spirit. And man, if you're willing to do that, we would love to just come alongside you and help you know what your next steps are because we are all in this together as exiles living for the one true God in a world that doesn't know him. And so we need to represent who he really is. Father, we come to you right now and I just pray that in our course of our study of Daniel in the coming weeks that you would just do a transformational work in each one of our lives and in the life of our church. We need this now more than ever. So help us to be unashamed of the gospel. Help us to really uh, show up fully present, asking you to start with our mind the way that we think, to fill our lives with your word so that way we can discern the culture around us and that we would ultimately recognize that our goal isn't to be right, our goal, is to lead people into a relationship with the God who can change them forever. So God, I just ask that you would meet us right where we are at today. Do what only you can do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.